Y'all getting well? I know a lot of people have been sick this week. Um, allergies combined with viruses and sicknesses and all kinds of things that um, been knocking people down this week. Um, just praying the Lord's making you healthy. Pray for those that aren't here because they're homesick or lots of schoolwork in the six, nine weeks, I guess, is coming up. So lots of different things. Don't forget, next week we'll be at Shelton Stadium, so don't forget. If you show up, we'll have someone here reminding you, but still, don't forget. So, All right, Daniel chapter 5. Colton is excited. Now, you've heard it said before, like, can't you just read the handwriting on the wall? Like, you heard this statement talking about, man, it should be so obvious to you. You should, you should just get it. Well, that's coming from Daniel chapter 5. So we're going to talk about kind of a unique story tonight. And I'm going to try to make it as applicable to your life as we can tonight. Because one thing that's interesting about the Bible is it's living and active. That means that when we read a story about Belteshazzar in the Old Testament, we can still take it and apply it to our lives um, even today. So we're going to start in verse 1. Um, just so you'll know, King Belteshazzar is actually the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. They still call Nebuchadnezzar his father because um, they had this great idea of um, fathers and ancestry and things like that um, as they went through. And they, so it was definitely Nebuchadnezzar's father. But he's the fourth king. They had a king for about two years. He got killed by his brother-in-law. Then he had another king for about four years. He got killed by his son-in-law. Then that son-in-law took the throne for four months till he was killed by someone. And so you have this just vicious fight for the throne in Babylon. And then you have Belteshazzar that kind of comes along and he rules for about 15 to 17 years um, in that time. And one of the things that was so interesting about Babylon was Babylon was this impenetrable city. In fact, um, archaeology says they had double walls. So, you know, if you had a wall on the outside, you had to breach that wall, then you would be in the middle of this 20-foot gap, and then you had to breach another wall where they would be, you'd be like fish in a barrel. And I know Mythbusters tried to bust that one, but still, you'd be like an easy target in between these walls. And so everyone believed that Babylon was impenetrable. It's like it was the Titanic of all things, and we know what happened to the Titanic, and we're going to find out what happens to Babylon today. But that's King Belteshazzar. And he made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousands. That is a party. Now, our room right here holds about 350 people. So if you can imagine this room times three, that would be the party that the king is throwing at his palace. And of course, it's not a honoring Jesus party. This is honoring the idols and the gods that they worship, many times the sun gods and things of that nature. So Belteshazzar, um, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. And they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And so you see the scene. We have this debauchery going on. We have this party going on. At some point, the king decides, man, this, this plasticware, this red plastic cup isn't good enough. Let's get the gold, the, the forbidden things from the temple. Let's grab those and let's bring them in. And little does he know that he's going to be dishonoring the one true God and that the one true God is going to begin to have judgment 
upon him because he's taking something that is reserved for God and he's making it a part of his celebration to other gods. In other words, he's trying to take things that are holy and make them unholy. Now, I know for you, it's going to be kind of weird because you don't know that much about the temple. You don't know that much about um, those things. So I want to try to make it in a more personal way. So I'm going to ask Lyric to come up and read kind of a poem that she wrote um, a little while back. And so we're going to try to take a look. What does this party scene maybe look like for you in your life? Because I know that you might choose to go to a party on a Friday or something like that. Um, you might choose to, to party with your friends, but... In a more actuality, most of you know Jesus. And most of you are going to make choices in your life to, to avoid some of these things. But how does this scene still apply to you? Y'all listen to this um, creative writing here. Y'all get up for lyric real quick. Hi. So I have a little story to tell. So I live in a house. A really big blue house with more windows than a cathedral, more doors than Monsters, Inc., more rooms than any hotel, motel, or inn. In my house lies an abundance of chairs, tables, dressers, nightstands, a clutter of couches, curtains, and closets. My house is full, full of peeling paint and leaky pipes and rotten floorboards, but you can ignore those things. My house is full of tenants who occupy every inch of space, so I'm left with the words, no vacancy, scrawled on my doorstep. These tenants have lived here almost as long as I have. Just up the stairs, there on the left, there's where my closest friend lives. From her vantage point, she sees anyone coming up the front walk and is quick to drown out the doorbell with the sound of her own voice saying, don't fret, dear soul. I have little matters for you to busy yourself with, much that does not matter at all. So I don't fret. I heed her words, and I sit down at my desk and busy myself with the day's trifles. Apathy. Her voice lulls me, and I ignore the knocking at the door. Another friend lives down the hall, whose shouts can be heard throughout the whole night. Malicious words said through gritted teeth, he earns his keep by reminding me that he deserves to be here. He is justified. Others' words and others' lies drove anger to my door, and I let him in. This is his home. Keep walking down the hall and you'll see some familiar faces. Shame is in the corner and in all the dark places. Pride struts through the house, dominating every space. And lust blares her music and insecurity follows behind me, stepping on my heels. Everybody has their place here. Every room is full. This is my house. This is my life and I love it, right? I mean, of course I love it. These guests, they're my friends. They comfort me. They're there for me. They're quick to remind me of who I am. Oh, did I forget to introduce myself? Hi, my name is Fake It Till You Make It. Also known as Plastic, Whitewashed, Mask of Clichés. I'm Suck It Up, Buttercup, Smile and Nod, Conceal, Don't Feel. But I do feel. Even when I hear voices from every corner of the house telling me I'm fine, I know I'm not fine. I have spent decades sweeping tears under the rug. And to be honest, I could have gone on for decades more doing the exact same thing. Except for the letter. You know, the letter that arrived through the post slot in the front door on that sunny Monday morning. The letter that was addressed to a name that I hadn't heard in a long time. Steward. This is stupid, I thought. I'm not a steward. I'm the master of this house, and everyone knows that. But no, something told me this letter was for me. And so I opened it. And what I read changed me for eternity. My dearest steward, it said, Though many years have passed and many seasons gone by, 
It's time for you to clean the house. I am coming home. It was signed, the master. Dumbfounded, dumbstruck, just dumb. I'm so dumb. How could I forget the architect, designer, master, owner of this house? The master, my master, is coming home? My duty as a steward overcame my despair, and I set to work. I flung open doors, shouting aloud for all to hear. It's cleaning day. All that is dark and woeful be gone. The master is coming home. One by one, each room is cleaned, its floor swept, shutters opened, walls washed, corners dusted, and I sing as I work, feeling a new identity swirl about me and direct my hands. I am the steward of this mansion, entrusted with this treasure. When the rooms have been scrubbed clean, I turn to my friends. I have known all along what I must do, but it doesn't make it any easier. In a barely audible voice, I say, It's time for you to leave. Their arms cross and their faces scowl. They scoff at me, daring me to speak up and actually mean what I say. I fear I won't have the power to drive them out, that I haven't got the strength to turn them away. But the master's words flash through my mind, and I know that he has given me authority here. And in a much louder voice, I say, It's time for you to leave. And with the strength of the master, I shove them out the door. There is no room for them here any longer. My lifelong roommates scatter down the street, and I'm left alone in the quiet house, feeling its emptiness and feeling my emptiness. After a while, I hear footsteps on the walk. I start to get eager. My spirit is excited. I'm I'm waiting to meet the one whom I was made for. But suddenly, regrets start pouring into my mind. Like, what if he isn't pleased? What if the house isn't clean enough? What if I'm not clean enough for him? My heart pounds in my chest as the doorknob turns and the door swings open. And I look down, knowing that I'm not worthy to meet that gaze. Expecting a reprimand? I'm surprised when I feel his fingers on my chin, lifting my eyes to meet his. He wraps me up in peace as he says the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, little do we know that we often have a party inside of our own mind, inside of our own house, and we entertain thoughts and we entertain guests and we don't even know it. If you were to really take a look at your soul Who are you entertaining day by day? Are you entertaining lust and and loving the music? Are you entertaining insecurities because you're not good enough to be loved by anyone? Who's at your party? If we're all honest, we have pity parties all the time. If we're honest, we have anger parties all the time. We actually enjoy holding on to those sort of things. And yet there's fixing to be handwriting on the wall. That's fixing to say, wake up, get out of your slumber. Stop playing around the same game that you do day after day after day. Have y'all figured out that doing the same thing doesn't work the same way it didn't work the day before? You think that, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hide this or I'm going to do this and nobody will find out like the last time they found out. Or you're scared to, oh man, if I, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to say anything about Christ in this situation because, you know, then it'll go better. But last time, did it go well? You see, we keep living over and over the same crazy cycle, thinking that somehow it's going to be different. 
Guys, we have to throw caution to the wind and run towards Christ. But guess what? You're going to trip and fall sometimes, but you get up and you got to keep running. Let's look what happens in the story and let's see what is God going to write on your wall tonight? Hopefully he's not going to write the same thing on the wall that he writes here. Um, Immediately, this is verse five, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall in the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. And his limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. And the king called loudly to bring the enchanters and the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck. It shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Can you imagine chilling with your friends at the party? And on back wall out comes a hand and starts writing you a message. I mean, I don't know what color it is, a human hand, if it's, you know, green like the Wicked Witch of the West or something, probably not. And it starts writing a message specifically for you. And it says here that the king saw it. It wasn't like just, oh, message, neon. It was like he saw it scrolling out a message to him. And fear gripped him. His friend fear that had been right behind him all that time gripped his mind and paralyzed him. Literally, his limbs started to shake. His color drained from his face. And all of a sudden, fear and panic overtook him. If God were to speak directly to you, what would take over you? What friends are you entertaining? Well, we know how it works. Every king of Babylon calls in all the other people and they can't figure it out. And then, of course, they have to bring in Daniel. So look at verse 10. It says, the king, I mean the queen, this is Nebuchadnezzar's wife. So this is the grandmother of the king now. Uh, Because of the words of the king and the lords came into the banqueting hall. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods... In the days of your father, the light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because of an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding of interpreting dreams, explaining riddles, and solving problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, and Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. Question, what is is your reputation? If there was a problem, if someone's life was beginning to crumble, would they call you? Would you be someone they would turn to in that time of trouble? Guys, that's the kind of people we should be as people of God, isn't it? We should be a refuge to people. We should be a safe place that someone's struggling. They can go, man, I want to call that, those kids in my discipleship group and ask them to pray for me. Oh, let me call my small group and maybe they can help me. Let me do that. Who do you call? Are you worthy of other people calling you and asking you for advice about how to live the life for Christ? We should be worthy of that calling. We should strive to be the people of God that other people run to when they're problems. Because everybody can be great friends when you're having fun. 
Aren't your great friends the ones that are there when you're sobbing and crying and depression is gripping you? And they're there to hold your hand, to, to encourage you and get you out of that? And so Daniel was that man. Anything went wrong in the kingdom, they called Daniel. Verse 13, then Daniel was brought in before the king. And the king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. This has been probably 58, 60 years that he's been in captivity. That's a long time. He came in as a teenager, and now here Daniel is an old man coming before this new king. Um, I have heard that you have the spirit of the gods in you, and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and the enchanters have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show me the interpretation of this matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretation to solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and you shall be the third in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writings to the king and make known to him the interpretation. I love Daniel's first part of his answer. He's like, I'm not here to get rich. I'm not here to get third in power. God's given me and blessed me with gifts, not to become some powerful person. God's given me gifts to do his work. O king, the most high, gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys, and he was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. So what is he referencing back to? Nebuchadnezzar, in chapter 4, getting humbled. His grandfather, the story, this... Nebuchadnezzar died seven years before this king came on the throne. Do you think maybe he had heard the story? How many of y'all have grandpas? Grandma's still alive. Okay, how many of y'all have heard their stories? Y'all heard the stories? How many of you actually believe their stories? Like, you're like, I know some of that is true, but is all of that true? Like, did you really wrestle lions in Rome during World War II? Like, really? Did you, do, like, did you really fly? And so you always wonder, like... Are they really true? Because stories seem to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as they go. You want, I wonder if Nebuchadnezzar had ever told his grandson the stories about eating grass like an ox. I wonder if he'd ever warned him, hey, don't make the same mistake I did. Humble yourself. And yet, how many times do we forget in the same way, right? And so, and you, his son, Belteshazzar, have... Have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver, 
gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which you do not see, hear, or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, in whose all your ways you have not honored. Now, I know you guys, you don't worship idols. I'm sure you don't. I'm sure you probably don't have a little statue in your room that you pray before every night. You carved out of some wood or something like that. Um, but, you know, I, we were talking to a guy named Sam. A couple of y'all know Sam um, from India one time. And he was talking about how when he came to the United States, he was so surprised at the idolatry that is the United States. And this pastor he was talking to was like, idols? We don't have idols. Not like India has idols. He's like, no. Like, look at your screens. Look at your billboards. Look at all these things that you worship. You know, you guys don't worship gold unless it's iPhone 6 has a gold back on it maybe or something. Um, you, you don't worship, you know, silver um, unless it makes you really look good so you can worship your own reflection. Um, you, don't, you don't worship wood and that stuff. But, man, how many things do we truly worship? Like, think about what do you do before you go to bed? Like, in those few minutes right before you go to bed, what do you worship? What, what are the last things that you put in your mind every day? I wonder. I think back to what I do. One of the things that I apparently worship is Clash of Clans. Um, apparently, I worship that right before I go to bed every night, and I make sure I collect everything and attack whatever I can attack and, and lose lots of trophies because I'm really not that good at it. Um, apparently, I, I worship ESPN. Because just got to check the score of the Cubs game or got to check something that's going on in, in there that night. You know, we got to gotta have that. The Gators, they won this week, so I got to support my Gator hat, you know. Man, what do we worship right before bed? What do you think about? What do you ponder? Who do you think about? Who do you ponder? What sort of things flood your mind when you go to rest? That is the battlefield of the mind that attacks all the time. And we may not think that we're like the, those pagan people back in the day, but man, isn't your phone attractive? Anybody here can at least nod your head that your phone is a temptation to you many times? Just draws you away from things so many times? Well, hopefully this isn't the word that God will say to us. Verse 24 says, Then from his presence the hand was sent. From God's presence it was sent. And this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mine, mine, teko parsan, or parsin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mine, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Now, you don't have a kingdom. But what if God was to take away your influence? What if God was to take away the influence that you had on other people because he couldn't trust your soul with other people? What if God was to take away your pleasures because you found all of your love in your pleasures instead of finding all of your love in him? Because many times we're at the bottom, we look up and we find God in the hard times. You see, if we worship our things, those things are eventually going to be taken away from us because God is a jealous God and he's not going to let you worship other things when you should be worshiping him. We, we need to be able to recognize those and give those to the Lord right away. Here's the second thing he said. Um, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. In other words, he has put you on one side of the scale and he's put his expectations of you on the other side 
and you are found unworthy. You're like that girl who sits on there, oh, you're a bad egg, right, in Willy Wonka land, right? You, you have been put on the scales, and you're found unworthy. The good news for us is that we have Jesus Christ to make us worthy. We, we, ha- we don't have to do it on our own power. And then Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, that word standing for the Persians. And that very night, that very night after the hand ran on the wall, and history says on that date, October 12th, which is a few days from now, many, many years ago, right? I think it was 539 BC, many, many years ago, that night, Medes and the Persians and Darius stormed the city. They, they, they breached the city and they conquered him and this very night he died. Now it's interesting, um, remember we had double walls? What's interesting was they had the hanging gardens of Babylon. That requires a lot of water. So they had rivers that flowed through the city and the, the Medes and the Persians dammed up the river so that there would be no water in the river and they walked through the tunnels underneath the wall and went in and conquered the city that night. You can read it in history books, pretty interesting. Um, Man, hopefully God doesn't conquer us that way. We all have weak spots, no matter how much we think we've protected our own hearts from things. And that very night, verse 30, Belteshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. You know, we were talking earlier about, you know, caution to the wind and and living like you might not wake up tomorrow. Um, You know what's crazy? We don't really know when our time is going to come. It would almost be easier if we knew we had two weeks to live or we had a month to live and we could start making our preparations. My challenge to you is this. How are you living your life today not knowing what tomorrow is going to hold? I mean, it's very fragile. Just this week, a young student at Hayes High School died. It was way too early for his life to die. And yet, playing around with friends and just an unfortunate accident happen. We got to be real, man. We don't, we don't know what tomorrow holds. You got to live every day as if Jesus was coming back tomorrow. Every day telling your friends about Jesus, every day choosing to step out and talk about him, the one who's ransomed you. That's my challenge. Let's not be like the king here, partying, think that we're safe, and all of a sudden our life has been a waste. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for the opportunity we have uh, tonight just to worship you. Opportunity we have, Lord, to to take in breaths and live life. Lord, help us to live our lives for you, not for our own pleasures or our own idols or our own worship, Lord, but help us to live it for you, pressing into others, encouraging others, um, telling others about Jesus, Lord, so that our eternity can be changed. Lord, we have eternal life in you just because you love us and we love you, Lord. We have eternal life. We need to have that hope and tell others about that hope as well. Lord, change our hearts. Help us not entertain and, and have parties with anger and lust and, and pity and insecurities, Lord. Help us to kick them out of our house and just invite you to be the full-time master of our home. Lord, in your name we pray. Amen.